Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Okay, today, Acts chapter 4. I missed, well, last week we did our church picnic, which was really fun at Rocky Ridge Park. So next time we have our church picnics, we have a good time. And, um, and so, yeah. Um, so who all read the entire chapter of Acts chapter 4 first? All right, a couple of us? Yeah? What did you think of overall, before we actually get into a specific patch, passage for today, what were some interesting things that maybe stood out to you in there? Peter and John get arrested. I think the arrogance of the Pharisees, because they know that what happened is true and real, but they refuse to admit it and go mm-hmm. along with it. Wild, isn't it? What did you, you think about like when they were trying to like shut them up? Basically, threaten them, silence them, beat them up, beat them up, and and their the response. The church roughened them up. The church roughened them up like <laughs> mom. Again, part of the again part of their arrogance. Yeah, yeah. We know what you did. We know what you, you did in the name of Jesus. But how dare you? Do not no yeah. no don't go out there. No, because uh-uh. they're just afraid of having their right. sphere of influence wiped away. Right. Yeah. The. the um, the interesting thing was like their response well and today we're specifically talking about like their prayer for boldness but before that i thought was really interesting how they kind of said you can you can try to shut us up but like we're not going to stop talking about what we've seen and experienced like Mm -hmm. we're we're basically they're saying we're just sharing our story you know which i think was really interesting and a really great lesson for us to think about like God just wants us to share our story yeah is what you found that's it mm-hmm. yeah and so and just how how difficult it is for us sometimes to actually do that fear whatever like in trouble maybe they won't like me maybe no one will believe me because I mean I'm sure all of us can think of experiences that we've been through or something we've learned or whatever it's like man no one's gonna believe me i can't share this right but what you see what you've seen doesn't hinge on their unbelief 100 percent, 100 percent. exactly right i think it's interesting how they're praising god that they went through the persecution yeah that's a little backwards isn't it <laughs> well that you know that proves there's trials and tribulations not everything is going to be all shiny and perfect for you in your life you're going to you're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes, and there's going to be struggles ahead, which are caused by other people, and we just have to fight through them. Yeah. What's beautiful is their perspective, is that their perspective was hopeful, even though they were in, in prison. Yeah. You know, most people that get in prison are like, oh, what's next? Oh, I'm going to rot in here. Next thing you know, you go down a spiral. And no, no, their spirits were up. And then later on in the chapter, I mean, how amazed they were that these people showed up in the temple the next day when they should have been locked up. There was no jailbreak. Everyone was in place. Had no idea that they were out. It is the miracle of that. I mean, it's hilarious. It's great. You know, right? really. It's great. Yeah. It's great. So let's get into our specific passage that we're going to delve a little bit deeper today. We're going to be talking uh, chapter 4, verses 23 to 32. And um, it's kind of like a whole little subsection in our notebook Bible, which is really fun. So, yeah, let's read it. And then we'll take a couple minutes to kind of reflect on our passage, answer the questions, and and then we'll we'll delve deeper into it. So, prayer for boldness. After they were released, 
They went to their own people and reported everything the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples blot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats, and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Let's, uh, let's start at the top. Verse, 20, verse 23. Twenty-three and twenty-four. What stood out to you in maybe those couple verses? Anyone want to go first? What'd you notice? What'd you find profound or interesting? You know, every, what they just went through—they're still praising God. You know, they're not blaming, they're not angry, they're not, I don't, I don't know what they're anger, but they're not, they're, they're praising the God, you know, regardless of their situation. Hey, we just got out of prison. Hey, you you know, you created all this and we're here for you. Yeah. To that point, verse 24, I wrote down, um, it was interesting to me, uh, the way they started their prayer. Where they said in 24, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. So, my mind, I was like, where have I heard that before? The heaven is the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Genesis. Yes. Genesis, where else? Where does that come to mind? There's, there, there's several passages in the Bible that basically have that exact basic line in it. So it's a common theme. Genesis... How about Exodus 20, verse 11? In the Ten Commandments? Uh, three angels' message in Revelation 14. Right? Give God glory, the hour of his judgment is hand, worship him who created the heavens, the sea, all that is in them. And, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting that they are identifying the kind of person God is, or they're t like for me that stood out to me because I feel like that's tied to the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a symbol of the Creator God and they're making they're, they're bringing that right out in the beginning of their prayer like we're acknowledging like you said Joe the Creator God the Creator of heaven earth life like all of that like they I found that interesting as to why they kind of brought that out 
the 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 um Sadducees the way they yelled at them and then to be bold enough and courageous enough to pray for more of what got them in trouble in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. Right. And so to preach about Jesus being resurrected was an affront to them. That's right. If you don't mind me asking, how are Sadducees different than the Sanhedrin versus? The Pharisees believed in in a life after death uh, kind of existence. Um, Sadducees did not. And so you can look at the Sadducees and Pharisees as leaders of their religious groups that have those beliefs. And so it's like different churches within the Jewish kind of sects, different belief systems. I think it's, you know, because you, you said something there and, um, yeah, I, I was just kind of curious of the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. That's the one, that's the biggest one is one believes in life. There's, there, uh, one believes in life after that, the other one is Sadducee. Okay. What, uh, <laughs> what do you think about verse 26? Why do you think in their prayer they quoted some Old Testament prophecy? What do you think about that? Anyone have any questions or found that interesting? Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Any thoughts on that? Well, that sounds like it came from prophetic words. And and that that's they're saying it because it's being fulfilled. That's what it sounds like to me. Like a mess messianic prophecy? Yeah. Okay. So what's one of the things that like Jesus did, you know, for me when I read that, Jesus often, well, let's see, what was it? When he was 12, he stood up in the synagogue and he read from the book of Isaiah, right? And the passages that, they, that he read... He then said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Remember that? And the whole place just kind of went a little bit stir-crazy. Mm -hmm. For Jesus himself was quoting some Old Testament prophecies, messianic prophecies that pointed to him. And he was saying these are being fulfilled now. So that's a that's a consistent trend that we kind of see through the Gospels. And so Acts, obviously coming right after the Gospels, written by Luke, right after Jesus went to heaven, they're still kind of continuing in that. And I think it's interesting that they... that. Uh, the disciples here that prayed, Peter and John, they quoted another messianic prophecy to give further evidence or, like you say, almost defy the Pharisees to say, like, no, this is what we believe, and we're pulling it right out of our Bible to say, like, see, the, the Bible said that the kings and rulers would come up against them, and then, and then verse 27, they say, in fact, in the city, both Herod and Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against Jesus. So, so they're they're bringing it right out and putting it in their face. Is, is that a quote from an earlier part of the Bible by chance? Psalms like, so 2, Psalms. 1 and 2. Yeah, there you go. Psalms so, 2, 1 and 2. Nice, thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this, and this kind of helped me here. Um, it helped me understand this, this verse, too. Um, this translation is the Messiah translation. Look how the kings on the earth take their stand with the rulers scheming and conspiring together against God and his anointed Messiah. Mm. It kind of 
instead of assemble together, the scheming mm. that, that brought this verse into help help me understand the verse. Well, then them stating that where you understand that the Sanhedrin and the people that were these learned rabbi folks, they knew verbatim all the writings up to right that point. Right. And so, for them to directly quote those writings from back then, they everyone knew exactly the context that it was written in their sacred word, but yet it described them that day. Which is interesting for me, because my mind thinks that, like, the, you know, I always, I always like to kind of focus on kind of person God, his kind of perspective. But, like, for me, it's interesting because even though the Pharisees knew that prophecy, the kind of God or Messiah they were looking for to fulfill it wasn't in fact what came. So that's why they missed it. I think that's really interesting. May, may I read the from Psalms 1 and 2? Sure, yeah. That's Psalms that. 2, 1 and 2, the nations speak. How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king saying, Let's come together and break away from the Creator once and for all. Let's cast off these controlling chains of God and Christ. It sounds familiar today. Sorry. Right? <laughs> and Psalms is David, right? Yeah. It's very not, not all David. Okay. But, but that's very prophetic. It's good. Holy cow. Yeah, that's good. Well, verse 28 is interesting. Someone read for us verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So, maybe give a little context. Maybe we should read verse 27. Yeah, Louise, read 27 and 28. I'm sorry. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Thank you. What do you think about that that phrase in verse 28? To do whatever you will and predestined to take place. I put a note next to that in my way I wrote down manifest destiny manifest destiny doing God's will. Okay. It reminds me when they were sitting, when they were in the court or whatever it is, when they were like crucifying, crucifying. Okay. Does anybody think like, okay, so for me personally, I don't like the way this version worded that line. Because to me, it makes it sound like to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. In other words, God is the, the one sitting behind the controller controlling his robots. To me, that's where my mind went when I read the way they worded that sentence. God is the creator God, right. but he also knows how everything ends. Absolutely. So, it we are on his plan as we go through our lives in our very small sliver of his plan. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not that he predestined it to work, but it's just the way it worked out. It's interesting, because that's, for my... For me, the way that it's worded in this translation, the reason I didn't like it because it made it sound like the people quoted in this prophecy, Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, all the assembled people of Israel, 
they didn't have a free choice in the matter. It was like the way this was worded makes God out to look like, well, I predetermined this would happen, and so it did because well, I predetermined it to happen, and and they didn't have a choice in the matter. What if you know your adversary and you know that it's going to happen, and it's not necessarily predetermined, but it's right. you anticipated it. You know what I mean? And, and again, in the same kind of verbiage, I mean, if you took it from that Greek, I'm sure there's some gray area as to where that could probably be looked at. So how do we understand that concept of God who knows, is all-knowing, but at the same time doesn't violate our individual freedom to choose to do something or not to do something? You want me to read it out of the remnant? You can read it out of whatever version you want. Yes, Herod and Pontius Pilate did meet together along with foreigners and even the leaders of Israel right here in this city to plot against your holy son Jesus and the one you designated to be your remedy. And they did exactly what you knew they would do, abuse the freedom you predetermined to give them. Interesting. What do you think of that? I well, think... Go no, ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I think predetermined is a better word. It's interesting how because he it, mm-hmm. it It talks more about abuse the freedom you predetermined to give them. That means he wanted them to have freedom from the beginning. That's what that sounds like to me, anyway. Mark, your comment. Well, that that comment, that that statement, that four-line statement, applies today. It applies to really a lot of different places in life. You know, as as you know, in history. So it probably applied during David's time. It probably applied, and it was foretold for that time because the prayer that bookended that set the case but even today it's still it's if you turn your back on Jesus and God you're usually making bad decisions and you're plotting bad things mm-hmm. it's 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 just what it is Lola I see you like your wheels are turning yeah but I don't have an answer what's your question <laughs> what's your question yeah. what's your question <laughs> Well, I, I don't know the, I mean, you brought up a good point that, you know, I'm surprised that word is in there, predestined to take place. And um, I was looking to see what other definitions that came up with, but I wasn't finding anything that was different than what I already knew. Because there is, the reason, the reason I have a problem with this is because there are, there are, uh, I don't use the word sex, but I could. Sects, S-E-C-T-S. Sects of Christianity that believe that God predetermines or predestines who's saved and who's lost. Yes, yes. I've heard of this. And you don't yeah. have a choice. God right. has predetermined. He is right. sovereign. Who can question him? Right. right. And so that's why I have a problem with the way this is worded because that violates our freedom. And love, design law of freedom, design law of love, doesn't. you, you can't love unless you're free. Love doesn't exist. 
and ask, you know, can only ex love can only exist when there's an atmosphere of freedom. So for God to say, well, you're saved whether you want to or not, or you're lost even though you want to be saved, violates the violates how reality yeah. works and yeah. violates love. I would go to the Greek word. Yeah. And I would look at the many different meanings of that word. Good. In different contexts. Because it, it's due to language translation. Yeah. You know, it, but we do serve an all-powerful God. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw you the argument for that. Is and the, the, side, the argument on the opposite side of that coin is, why wouldn't God be able to do that? Exactly right. And so you have the Bible now to look at the whole context of how he cares for people to make a judgment that I don't think it is predetermination. I think it's more of he knew what's going to happen and he prophetically put it in earlier. Lola, did you have a final comment that we'll keep moving through to finish the passage? Nothing satisfactory. It's <laughs> good. Still questions. That's great. Still questioning. Yes. Yeah. So uh, did anyone have anything out of verse 29 or 30? We think in verse 30, right? While you stretch out your hand for, what's the next word? Healing. Yeah. Healing. What do you think of that? And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. But I think that's interesting there, while you stretch out your hand for healing, they didn't say for forgiveness, because a lot of people think and also believe that it's a legal thing where you're just, all we need to do is make sure we're forgiven and we're fine. Mm -hmm. But there are wants more than that. Jesus wants more than that. Yes. Not yes, just does. not just the relationship. He he has so much compassion for his followers, he doesn't want to see them suffer. Exactly. We are forgiven, but what's required is right, as David prayed in Psalm, create in me a clean heart, renew my mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind as Paul says in Romans. We are forgiven, but it's not forgiveness isn't enough. Well, in, in that context, mm -hmm. he's, or they're saying that sin is an illness, mm. not necessarily a right, wrong, this, that. It's an illness that you need to be restored healed from. from, restored from. Yeah. What do you think? Do you agree with that? I think yeah. you do, because you said it. Uh, yeah, I do. Because <laughs> right? David prayed, what, in Psalm 51, I was conceived in sin born in iniquity I might have those words backwards but I was but he said from birth I, I was born this way I didn't choose to be this way I was born this way so it's really interesting to you know I wrote well I wrote basically the same thing down where he's talking about and I made a connection here where I said um, I made a connection with the opening line to their prayer when they were talking about you are the creator and so they understand that the creator, the creator of the system, if the system gets damaged, then what does the creator have to do? The creator needs to come in and fix the system, right? So they kind of, to me, I made this connection where they, they acknowledge that God, you created something, it got damaged by a sin problem, and that you need to heal the damage done. So I wrote here, it's not a lethal, it's not a legal slash forgiveness problem, 
it's a lethal slash sickness problem. Not born guilty, I'm born terminal. Gotcha. Because for me, I believe that if I was conceived in sin and born in iniquity, then I didn't choose to be sinful. Only Adam and Eve chose to be sinful. I was born sinful. But without Jesus healing and restoring me, then I have this terminal condition that could lead to death. That's how I understand that. What do you guys think of that? Anybody have a different view of that? I think we're born sinful, but it's up to you if you wanna you wanna die. Mm. It's your own personal responsibility and your own personal journey. If you don't want to take the journey, then yeah. you want to adhere to the consequences. It's good. It's like like the sickness. Not everyone. Yeah, let, let Angel finish. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like the sickness. It's, it's like, it's just like nowadays, you know, you, you can view sin as a sickness. Let's say you got liver problems or something. You want the doctor to heal you. But if you're not willing to stop drinking, you want to keep damage in your body, then, you know, it's your responsibility. Your own, it's your own journey. And if you really have to want it. I want to. I want to heal. I want to. I want to better health. But yet you're still doing what's actually causing your health issues. Then mm. what's the use? Mm. That's great. Okay, Terry, you have comment. I apologize if I almost interrupted you, Angel. <laughs> um, not everyone's going to want the Damascus Road. Mm -hmm. Damascus yeah. Road was a two by four. Paul got a two by four across his forehead. <laughs> but um, it's up to the individual what they want to do yeah. that's like if you go I don't know if you know this but Franklin Graham's going to be coming to town on the 25th he's mm -hmm. going to be at the York Fair and I'm wondering how many people are going to be there and how many people are going to go to that altar so connect that with, with what we're talking about yeah. here, where Jesus is healing. And it's just up to the individual for what yeah. they want to do. You know, that's basically all I want to say. Yeah. Thank you. What do you think is another, another question I had here, just moving down through 30, and as we kind of start to wrap this up a little bit here, where he talks about, Signs and wonders, right? Stretch out your hand while you heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So we know that, we know that a lot of people were healed in the Book of Acts. All you know, people were even raised from the dead, right? So, so I have a question to you: What would be more of a wonder and an amazing thing to experience or see? Someone being healed of physical illness, someone being raised from the dead, or a mortal enemy being turned into a loving friend? The last one. What do you think would be more of a wonder or a sign? Something amazing to see and experience. An enemy becoming a friend. Yeah. I didn't catch the first two. My mind was wandering. It's fine. 
Someone being raised from the dead or someone being healed of a physical illness? Someone being raised from the dead is pretty remarkable. In fact, there's no answers for that. Change your heart. Someone can change your heart. But you're dead, you stink, and you're raised. Oh, yeah, no, that's a miracle. And pretty wild, right? Down. So let me ask you this question. Can Satan counterfeit someone being raised from the dead? Definitely. He's not allowed to. But he can heal or cover somehow either mask injure and then and also create manifestations yeah so the reason I bring this up because the Bible talks about a lot about how don't trust miracles because miracles can be counterfeited even even Jesus can perform he will come masquerading as an angel of light I'm sorry not Jesus but Satan but what can Satan not do he can't generate life he can't right. he can't recreate he can't change a person who is selfish and hateful to someone who is loving and other centered. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to. He can't. He can't reproduce the third option that you gave, like making an enemy a friend. He does just the opposite. He tries to turn them against each other. He's a created being, and that's why he was out of the initial conversation. But so the point I'm trying to make is, and I'm I'm, I'm formulating this as we're discussing also my own study time of this of this process here. A lot of people can read this and think, you know, well, they'll go to healing services. They'll go, I went to this conference and I've witnessed people being healed or whatever. And that's, I'm not discrediting miracles. I'm not. But to me, what's more profound is witnessing someone go through a conversion experience where they are turned from an enemy to a friend, where their heart is a heart of stone and is transformed to a heart of flesh, where they are recreated from a hateful, evil, angry, resentful, unforgiving, cold person to someone who is willing to give their life for the benefit of somebody else. Someone who is love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. And, and I think that, for me, that's what they're talking about. Because we're not talking about Jesus healing people physically. The sin problem is, is a, a physical problem, obviously, right? The sin problem is a heart and mind. Thank you, Mark. A heart and mind problem. And so is God concerned about my eyesight being healed or whatever physical ailment we all live with, healing all of that? Of course, he loves us. But what is he more concerned about? The condition of our hearts and minds. I think the, I think the eyesight coming back is more symbolic of the heart and mind because you made the person a believer. Yeah, interesting I think Paul's the greatest example in the Bible. Thank you. Because Paul, Paul, he was the one that murdered. Uh, in the name Stephen. of Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus, I'm going to kill or, or God. He was murdering people. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was the one that stone initiated the stoning of Stephen. Yeah. And he was holding their coats. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Thanks for sharing that. So for me, a greater sign and wonder is not a miracle that can be counterfeited by Satan, but to witness the genuine heart and mind transformation like Paul's conversion on Damascus really. That's an amazing experience. So any final thoughts here before we kind of wrap it up? What about our last question? Did you learn anything about God and the kind of person he is? If so, what? 
any thoughts on that? It just reminds me of the compassion that he has for his, for his children. Mm. It's... I mean, Jesus is obviously a man, but it almost looks like a maternal instinct. I wrote that God deeply desires to pour out his spirit in healing and transformation. And I wrote that he's waiting for groups of people to know and understand the truth about his character, purpose, method, and choose to participate. And then I wrote the most amazing sign of wonder is turning an enemy into a friend. And, and in, in fact, here's a little tidbit here we'll wrap it up with. People will use the term God's vengeance they will apply vengeance as we view vengeance of getting mad, getting even pouring it out on you makes God out to be less than stellar but biblical vengeance is turning an enemy into a friend that's what vengeance means in the Bible mm -hmm. turning an enemy into a friend so when God says vengeance is mine says the Lord I will repay we have a human law model where we view God as a dictator we say yeah boy he's gonna get you mm. but if you understand it from a from a design law creator view God is saying let me worry about turning him into a friend because if you get involved maybe it'll help maybe it won't but just let me worry about it. let me worry about changing that person's heart that's what I hear God saying is that a specific translation for vengeance Vengeance is mine, or you're saying it's like the word vengeance. It's in most translations, most most versions of the Bible. You'll find that. Well, I've, I've heard it in yeah, the yeah, Bible, yeah. but yeah. like the turning an enemy to a friend. Oh, yeah. Is that like Greek, or is that, or is that? We'll have to I'll have to find that. Okay, I'll yeah. look it up. It's the first time I ever heard of vengeance being that, that's, turned that's what, from a term of wrath to, to not wrath. We're gonna stretch you now. Yes, I'll have to. So on that, that, on that we can wrap up our conversation. <laughs> Come on, everyone. What do you say to us? Which way do you do, George? We'll be looking that one up. Look at that up. Let's see what it says. Turning an enemy into a friend. That's what studies all about. That's right, 100%. Mm -hmm. And if you can't find that, then I want you to come back and, and say, hey, here's what I did find. Mm -hmm. Okay. Seriously. Okay. That's what it's all about. we got to grow together. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this conversation. I just ask for your Holy Spirit to bless uh, the food we're going to eat soon and our time together. And thank you that we're learning some interesting lessons and we're being stretched and challenged and, and that you're doing your amazing work of healing. Come into our hearts the rest of this day and, and bring us together next week as well for another good conversation. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. Thank you.